and I were talking about the different trails, a lot of trails in this area. And they're great because they're marked clearly. A lot of them are paved. They're old railways. Really hard to get lost on the trails around here. But I, I got an embarrassing story. I have to open up an illustration, which is, which is quite embarrassing, because back west, more towards western New York, uh, the trails aren't quite as marked, especially at my buddy's cabin. My buddy has had this cabin, his family has had this cabin for generations and generations, and it literally is in the middle of absolutely nowhere. Like, in order to get to the cabin, you, you end up driving and driving and driving for 40 minutes, and then you get to this two-block, one-traffic-light town. It's a blinking light, too. It doesn't even work. And then from there, you head up into this road that literally you're just driving through woods for another 40 minutes, and you won't see anything else. Occasionally, you'll see a horse and buggy. I mean, it's like going in a time machine. There is nothing out there. And, and he loves it. He grew up there, literally. As a little baby, he'd go up there. He just went up there his whole life. He absolutely loved it, and he knew it like the back of his hand. And so I met him, and he brought me up there. And then for years, I started falling in love with the place. It's just this wonderful place. And we'd go up there, and I'd always say to him when we go up there, can we take a hike? And we always go to the property, and we kind of, you know, just kind of camp down in the property, which was fun. But I kind of wanted to explore the area. I just wanted to take a hike. And he would always just put it off. For years, he put it off. And finally, this one time, we had plans to, to meet a friend up there. So it was me, him, the guy who owns it, and this other guy. The three of us went up, and we were going to meet another buddy who was coming a little bit later. And so we got up there pretty early, and we had set up camp. We were good to go. And we still had plenty of time before our friend arrived, and we're sitting on the porch. And he said, let's go take that hike you've been asking about. And I got really excited. Let's go, let's go take this hike. And so, yes, let's finally go do this. So he, we, he just led the way. I just assumed, I mean, he's been coming up here for his whole life. I, I just assumed he knew what he was doing. So we didn't bring flashlights. It was daytime when we left. And I was wearing shorts. I wasn't that worried about it. And we didn't have a compass. <laughs> we didn't have a map. We didn't have water. It was only going to be a 10, 15-minute hike. So we're walking for a half an hour and 45 minutes. He's leading the way. And it's like 45 minutes, okay. You know, it's lots of trees. <laughs> it wasn't like we were seeing anything new. I said, okay, let's head back to the camp. And he said, okay. So we're walking for another 10 minutes and 20 minutes and a half an hour and 40 minutes. Like, seriously, I'm tired and I'm hungry. And it's getting cold. Let's head back to the camp. And he's like, I've been trying. I've been trying for the last hour and a half to get us back to the camp. Another hour goes by. We're still not back at the camp. Another hour goes by. And, and, and again, when you're out in that kind of country... When it gets dark out, it's dark. You, you can't see this far in front of you. And so if we're in these woods, when the moon comes up and the sun goes down completely, you're not, we're not moving. 
We're hunkering down all night. And it's cold. Now it's cold. I'm still in shorts. My shins were nothing but blood. Up and down from walking through brush and thorns. And was not prepared for a six-hour tour in the woods. <laughs> not even close. And so we, became, we started getting more and more and more <clears throat> desperate. <clears throat> and finally, I mean, it's like, it's like we're like 10 minutes from it being too dark to walk. We finally find an old country road. And so we begin to celebrate only to realize in the very next moment that we are now on this country road. No sign of intelligent life anywhere and we don't know where the cabin is we have no idea where we are let alone where the cabin is and so do we go that way on this road which looks like it never ends or this way on the road which looks like it never ends we have no idea even where to go and so we just begin to slowly defeatedly exhaustively walk down this road we were in a position where we've made decisions and got lost. Lost to the point where there was absolutely nothing we could do about it. We were unable to save ourselves. We had tried for six hours and only found ourselves more lost. The more we tried, the more lost we became. And suddenly, a pair of headlights, we see a pair of headlights coming towards us. And so we started jumping to flag this guy down. I didn't even care if it was a killer at that point. <laughs> and it wasn't a killer. It was a police officer. And when you have the background that I had, you're not used to being so excited to see the cops. It's usually the opposite. But my goodness, I'd never, even to this day, have never been that excited to see a police officer. And he pulled over and he asked us what was going on. We explained the whole situation to him. And we told him where the cabin was. And he goes, wow, you boys are lost. And so we got in the back of his car and he drove us for a very long time. It was like for six hours trying to get to the cabin. We were walking away from the cabin. We were nowhere near his cabin. So we finally pull up to his cabin and we get out, and there's our buddy that was supposed to meet us, sitting on the, on the porch, waiting for the story. Who's the hero in that story? Who deserved the, the glory? Who's, who saved us? Did we save ourselves? Is there any possible way for us to boast in that story? Can we, can we possibly, if he was giving his report, this officer, step in and try to steal some of that glory? We were the butt of the joke. We were the ones that needed to be saved. We were the ones that made decisions to walk out into the woods without any preparation whatsoever. If it wasn't for that police officer, who knows what would have happened. But one thing that's for sure is we wouldn't have been saved. He, in that moment, deserved all praise and all glory. And as we told our buddy of all this, we just kept saying, thank God for that cop. Thank God for that cop. And we've all been, we've all been in situations in life where we've just gotten in over our heads. 
There was just, there's just no possible thing that we could possibly do to get us out of whatever situation it is. We've all been there. And we've all prayed and we've all had that one person. Maybe it was our parents who came through or a friend, a lifelong friend, or sometimes maybe even it was just a stranger, whoever it was. Somebody has come through and redeemed us out of our situation and we had nothing to do but to praise and give that person glory. We couldn't possibly have stolen glory. And this is where mankind finds itself. Desperately lost. Not for six hours, but for generation after generation after generation. Trying desperately to fill that void, that yearning, that longing Knowing, and just, and just knowing from as far back as our memories go, this feeling of just constantly being lost. Amen? Who has just been born in this new life feeling so comfortable in their own skin and where they are? No, all of us know there's something wrong. There's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with this world. And as we look out at the headlines, oh my goodness, are we lost? And then the Christian one day is saved by this Redeemer. Listen to this, though. This is incredible. So many people miss this. The disciples almost miss this because of how absolutely incredible it is. The Creator, the One who created all that is, the One who is eternal, there is no beginning, there is no end, the One with all power, came to redeem His people who turned on Him not in authority, not by lording over us, but in humility, gentleness, and lowliness, and in service, and in sacrifice. How easy it is to miss. What is it? It's, it's foolishness to the Gentile stumbling block to the Jews. It's such an incredible thing. It is just absolutely so easily missed. And it was almost missed here by the disciples. Jesus foretells his death a third time. Really four. If you're keeping accurate score, it's really the fourth time he foretells his death to the disciples. Four times. He just continually tells them. They continually miss it because it's just so grand. It's so unbelievable. They can't seem to grasp it. And he says, and they were on the road going, going to Jerusalem. Now listen to this. Jesus was walking ahead of them. Mark doesn't say that. He doesn't give that distinctive any other time. He purposely puts that in there so that we have this image. Jesus knows what he's marching towards. And he's leading the way. He's marching towards suffering and rejection and his ultimate demise of the cross, the humiliation. And he's not lagging behind. He's not being dragged there. He is leading the way. And as we picture him leading the way, his disciples, his followers are following him. 
And it says, and they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. Is this not the picture of discipleship? Is this not what we are called to? This has been my spiritual journey. There is Jesus Christ out in front of me, calling me to follow him. And there are times on my walk that I follow him in absolute amazement. There are times when I follow him trembling in fear. But nonetheless, I must follow. I must follow him. And then he takes the twelve aside again and he tells them again. He says, see, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. See, gone are the parables. Jesus isn't speaking to them in parables anymore. Remember when he was speaking in parables, the disciples were getting a little frustrated? They're going, God, can you just give us a clear word here? You're talking in all these riddles. What does that mean? They're begging them for some clarity so that they can understand better. And, and Jesus has long since abandoned the parables. He is talking to them clear as day, plain as can be. And in fact, in this account, he gives them more information than he has previously. They didn't get any clearer than this. And so you think, how possibly could they have missed it again? But isn't this you and I and our walk at times? When we feel frustrated with God, we just feel like, man, could you just, God, just give me a clear word here. I'm confused. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what decision to make. I don't know which way to go. Please just give me a clear word. We, we think that God is the one that's being unclear, and it isn't. He is speaking cl- plainly, clearly through His Word and through the Holy Spirit into our lives. And we don't hear it for the same reason the disciples don't hear it, because we have not yet abandoned our mind of, minds of men. We still see things through the lens of the society that we grew up in. We still see things through the lens of this world. We apply our own understanding to the Bible and not let the Bible change our understanding of everything. It isn't until we let go completely and say, whatever your word is, God, it is your word. I am submissive to it. People who aren't Christians that read the word of God find it of absolutely no value. It is only people who come to it submissively, ready, willing, wanting for it to change them, can they actually hear and receive what it is telling them. But no, they're still stuck on this old idea of what the Messiah was to do. Remember, they're under the the suppression of Rome. The Gentiles are taking over them. They're scattered throughout. And they think that this Messiah has come to set up shop to lead them into this grand kingdom to then lord over the Gentiles. This is what they think. So this whole idea of him suffering and being mocked and put to death, they just can't hear it. 
So as soon as he, he tells them this for the third time, they, they come up to John and James, come up to him. And they say, teacher, I want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. We've got a favor to ask of you, but we want you to tell us now that you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna answer our favor. You're going to do this. This is, Ellie does this. <laughs> right? She's trying to get an, an, an affirmation before the question even comes. This is, this is the mistake King Herod made, the foolishness that is King Herod, right? Whatever you ask, I will give it to you, before he ever heard the request. And of course, the request was in John the Baptist's head. And he was sorry. This is what the disciples are trying to pull out of Christ, and he's too wise for that. He asked them, well, what, do you, what is it that you're asking me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit on your right hand and your left hand in your glory. So they're getting closer. They do understand that Jesus is the Messiah. They've gotten that far. And they understand that he will be in glory. And what they're asking here is they want to share in that glory. They want to be recognized in his glory, in the highest honor you could possibly have. The one on the left, the one on the right. The one on the right was the highest, the one on the left is the second highest. And this is what they're asking, to be recognized. That'd be like us coming home to the camp with the police officer and telling our buddy, you wouldn't believe how well we got saved. You should have seen us get into the back of that cop car. (laughs) Foolishness. Unbelievably foolish. Blind. That any of us would seek out our own glory in the midst of this story. In the midst of this redemption and from what I've been saved from. It's pure blindness. And Jesus, when he asked the question, when we seek out to pray, sometimes we need to ask ourselves, is this prayer request for my glory or his? Why am I asking for this particular thing? This is something I personally run up with every week. Every week, as I posture myself before God and beg with Him that I have a successful ministry, that I can bring clarity and power to the pulpit, I must constantly check my motives that I am not doing that for my own glory. That everybody might be impressed with me. No, that everybody might see clearly the love of Jesus Christ and the gospel. As you pray for the situations in your life, the scenarios in our lives, even the difficulties, sometimes we will sit there and say, God, would you please remove this difficulty? This is so uncomfortable. And then the difficulty doesn't go. It doesn't budge. It remains. It might be a situation here where he is showing us our heart. 
We don't want to have this difficulty because it's humbling. We want it gone so we can return to our own glory. God's too loving to do that. No, no. We should say, God, how can I use this struggle, how can I use this difficulty to glorify your name? Teach me what I need to learn through this struggle, through this difficulty. But he exposes clearly that they were asking for something for their own glory. And he tells them, you, you don't know what you're asking. Well, I just got done explaining it to you three or four times. And yet you still come to me with this request. It shows that you are still blind and deaf. You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Or to be baptized with the baptism which I am baptized? Are you able to drink of the cup of the wrath of God which I am about to drink? To go through the suffering that I am about to go through and the baptism of death and resurrection, are you able to do that? Are you able to save yourself and mankind? Lost in the woods, can you get out on your own? Of course not. Of course not. But they miss it. They say, yeah, we are able. We're able. Oh my gosh. Jesus, I will follow you anywhere and everywhere. Doesn't it feel good to say that out loud? I was having a conversation a while back with a couple of my friends, and they were talking about how they'd get their tongue cut out for Jesus Christ. I said, man, that feels good. It makes me so righteous to say that. I'd get my tongue cut out for Jesus Christ, but will I eat lunch at work by myself every single day for Jesus Christ? Will I approach my neighbor next door and make it awkward between us every time we're going to our car at the same time for Jesus Christ? When I'm in the barber shop or the, the salon and everybody's talking about all this stuff, am I willing to bring the conversation spiritual to pronounce the gospel on Jesus Christ and churn the whole tide and let everybody think I can't wait until they're out of here? It's easy to say that we're willing to follow Jesus Christ in the big stuff, the stuff that probably will never, nobody will probably ever, maybe they will, but I'm willing to bank that probably I will never lose my tongue because I'm a Christian. But I will lose my reputation. I am called to that. I am to lose friends and family. I am called to that. I am called to be that guy in the room making things a little awkward. And then Jesus says, well, you know what? You know what? Yeah, you're right. The cup that I drink, you will drink. And the, the baptism which I am baptized, you will also be baptized. And we know that these disciples, all of them, went on to suffer and become martyred for the sake of the gospel. And so in that they share. But even more to that, to that for us, we too will drink of that cup and be baptized with that baptism because we share the crucifixion with Christ. We become crucified 
in Christ. Jesus Christ didn't come, become crucified, die for our sins to end suffering. He did that and it puts value on suffering. Because it is in that that I can suffer with him. We share in his suffering, but we also share in his resurrection. Amen? We share in his glory as well. But the way to glory, this is what he's telling these guys. Listen, you, you want to be on my left and right? You've got to understand something. To, the way to glory, from the kingdom of God's perspective, is through low servant sacrifice. Get as low as you can get here and now. And as low as you can get here and now is as high as you will be exonerated in the kingdom of God. There's no skip in the low. Can you live a Christian life without suffering and sacrifice and persecution to any level? I suppose. I suppose. If all you're after is eternal life, I don't know, maybe. Maybe. But I still would consider that a win for Satan. To, to, to neutralize Christianity. To take out the sting. To take out the honest. To take out this, what we're seeing here. To take out the Savior. To make it seem like nobody needs a Savior. He says, but to sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to grant. But it is for those whom it has been prepared. What's he saying? He's saying there that, listen, I can't give that out as favor. This isn't a favor position. It's been prepared. And it's not even really ours to worry about. That's not what's on our docket. Right? That isn't. That's not, he's talking about we going to, you're about to go to Jerusalem and you're worried about this? That's what he's saying. This is, this is already prepared. It isn't for us to certainly ask for, to squabble for, to worry about. And of course the other ten hear this and they become indignant. We've all been there, right? This, this, this you know, brown nosers. <laughs> you ever think that or say that about somebody? Look at them try to try to get up the ladder by getting close to the boss. Really and inside, really inside I'm thinking, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> they think out there about an hour before I, I did. And we're upset with them. And this is the heart of all of them. They all want to be on the left and the right. How dare these two jump out ahead? And so Jesus uses this as an opportunity to step into this conflict. He uses an opportunity to teach them a lesson. He says, you know, those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. So he, first of all, he compares, he compares them to Gentiles. Don't miss that. <laughs> That's a little bit of a shot. They wouldn't have liked that. They definitely wouldn't have liked that. And the other thing it does is it exposes them. He's going, listen, 
you guys have this disdain for the way the Gentiles, the way this world rules over you. That's the whole point of you hoping for this Messiah. Why though? So that you can then become kings and rule over them in the same way? Jesus didn't come for role reversal. He came for redemption. He's changing the whole thing. He says to them, it shall not be like this with you. That is not how the kingdom of God operates. If we're in the kingdom of God, you just don't do this. This is not how it is. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Servant and slave. With servant, we can think of a a waitress or a waiter running around, serving everybody. Thankless job. That's our lot in life. That's our role. If you're following Christ, we should have this attitude of a waiter or a waitress. Then he ups the game. If we don't like servant, we can choose slave. Which means I have no rights unto myself. I exist to to do good deeds and bless others. This is what he's calling us to. See, he's he's not condemning their desire to be great. He's redeeming it. It isn't that we shouldn't seek out greatness. It isn't that we shouldn't seek out honorable positions. But what is our heart and our motivation behind seeking those things out? Recall the two things, right? To go deeper with Jesus Christ. The gospel is not just my entry path into heaven. The gospel is my way of life. It is everything. A few weeks ago we had discovered or reminded ourselves that the the angst of every human being, the drive of every human being is to rest in the arms of Jesus. To feel His embrace. To place our head upon His bosom. To feel His hand upon our head. To hear out of His lips our name. In that place, what else do you want? What else do you need? What else is there to do? Just one thing. To look on your fellow man and their angst and their drive to be on top and to be successful and to call upon them to come into the embrace of Jesus Christ. Let's go deeper with God so that all we want to do is serve others and tell them the truth. That Jesus Christ and his gospel is everything. Everything. So, 
young man goes to college, should he not aspire to be maybe a lawyer, and then even more so than that, be a wonderful lawyer, a successful lawyer, a lawyer maybe even at the top of his game? Absolutely he should inspire for those things. Because those things he can use to leverage for the kingdom of God. That everything that we have, all of it, we should think through in this position of how can this bless my fellow man and provide leverage and opportunity for me to proclaim into the lives of others the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We should all aspire for great things. All of us. But not into our own glory. Not so that we will be recognized but so that we might have opportunities to use all of it to bless others and bring glory to God. He gives a description of what it is like to be first in the kingdom of God in a position of honor in the kingdom of God in verses 43 and 44 and then in 45. He demonstrates it. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. The idea of ransom there is to buy somebody out of slavery. To purchase them out of slavery. If you're a slave... You're a slave. There's nothing you can do about it. You can never get yourself out of that position. And so it would take somebody else to come in and pay a ransom that they might buy you out of that slavery. This is what Christ did at the cost of his life. He buys us out of the slavery of sin, of possessions, Rises out of the slavery of competition, of rank, of accomplishment. Imagine you living your life in the world that we're in now, with no concern whatsoever with what you own, or how much of it you own, or what your boss thinks of you compared to your coworker. Or competing with other people. You're just not interested. I no longer am a slave to those things. Why? Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because of what he did. So we are not to seek our own glory, but to seek ourselves, put ourselves in a position where we can do as much good for as many people and to allow God to use all of our resources, all of our time, all of our effort to do that. That is what we are called to, to give it all up, to be low, to be servants, to be slaves. Why? Because this is what it is to be honored in the kingdom of God. Whose opinion are you after? Does it mean so much to me that my neighbor thinks highly of me because of my possessions? That I'm willing to stand in a low view of God? 
So often this is what we do when we seek our own glory. God has redeemed this and he calls John and James and the other ten and you and I to realize that we've been saved. We've been redeemed from a position in which we could do nothing about it. It makes no sense for us then to say, you see how humble I received Christ? What do I have to boast about? What do I have to seek honor and glory about? What do I have to lord over my brother or my sister? What sustain should be in my heart for anyone? What forgiveness do I have the right to withhold? I'm enslaved to all because of my position in Christ. And I will cheerfully give it all up. Because there is nothing better than living life in the posture of the embrace of the one who has redeemed me. Amen. To hear him whisper my name. And to say a blessing upon me. What else do I want? What else could I want for? Let it be him that receives all glory and all praise. Heavenly Father, you didn't have to redeem us. It's not like that cop. You know, that, that cop he was paid to save us. Even if he didn't like us, he kind of had to save us. He was paid to do his job. But this, that's not the case here. You didn't have to redeem us. You didn't have to come in humility and gentleness and lowliness. You didn't have to come in the position of servant of all to give your, your life as the ransom to buy us back out of that slavery, but you did. And in doing so, you have shown us what it is like in your kingdom. How absolutely opposite it is from the world in which we live now. Father, give me courage to follow Jesus, to submit to Jesus, to seek to glorify Jesus in those times when I am amazed as well as those times when I am stricken with fear. And grant that I might do this because of the love that drives me to do it. The love that I have received from you through your death and your resurrection and your redemption and the love that I have for you that you would do that for me. If I am to boast, if I am to seek any honor or any glory, let it only be boasting in you and the cross and seeking to only glorify and honor you and all that I have, all that I do, all that I am, if I accomplish nothing in the eyes of this world, but I'm able to make your name famous as a result of this life, if two minutes after I die, nobody ever utters my name again or even remembers that I existed, but there is a number of people 
who know who you are, who worship you because I lived. Let that be my drive. Let me let that be what I'm after for. Let that be what I am enthusiastic about. At all costs. Let me be great in the kingdom of God, knowing that means I will be low in this world. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.